Welcome to episode 116 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high carb, low calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40% lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you're retaining metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion. I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards, and it's something that I personally use every single day, and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers, it is also scientifically formulated to optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body. It is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount for all of you listeners so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your name and email address and you'll receive an email to double opt in to the list and you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein. So I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to 
toneprotein.com. Sign up with your name and email and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed, but with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 116 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am doing great, and I have a a cat follow-up for my cat. You know, I talked about her on the on the other episode. And since she's the cat in Delay, Don't Deny, she's an important part of the intermittent fasting community. <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, she is still clumping around on her cast and she smells so bad because the cast stinks. <laughs> But she has gotten back her bladder control, which is just amazing. Did I talk about that before? I can't remember if I did, that we were worried about her getting back her bladder control at all, like she might never have it back. Oh, no. Yeah. Like when she first had the accident, she she couldn't empty her bladder at all. And we were having to do that manually, which is just about as much fun as it sounds for both the cat and for me. (laughs) They do not like that one bit. But she's now able to use the litter box on her own and... I mean, that's huge. She's, but she's really, really tired of having the cast on, which I can understand. But she really smells bad. (laughs) I do want to say one thing about litter box. Since we talked about the litter box, I have found a solution. And it is something called the Tidy Cat Breeze. And it is like genius. The reason she smells bad is because we were using that clumping clay litter that, you know, has been around for a long time and it just absorbs all the odor, but it's like right there in the litter box and it's gross and it doesn't absorb at all. It's just right there on top, you know, it clumps together. This Tidy Cat Breeze litter box, and no, we are not sponsored by them. They don't know we exist. I'm just a a fan (laughs) as a cat owner. It has these little clay pellets that are in it. And so they don't get everywhere. They have this little like a grid And so when the cat uses the litter box, it goes through the clay pellets and down through the grid to this little tray underneath, which has has a little pad. I mean, it's like a diaper, really, but it absorbs everything and locks it in. And then you just pull that little tray out every few days and throw that little diapery thing away. And it is just amazing. I'm actually glad you brought up the litter because I realized I left out a key point when I talked about the pine litter last time. What was that? So you know how I said it dissolves? Yeah. You don't even scoop it. Like that's how amazing it is. It just dissolves into basically like sawdust that doesn't smell and you don't scoop it out. You wait until all the litter turns to sawdust. You scoop out clumps like, you know, Number two, you don't scoop out the actual, so the urine smell is non-existent. I know you have this system, but if you want to try. Yeah, it, I love it. I'm like a huge fan of this and because the little clay pellets and they're not, anyway, it's like amazing. It solved the whole problem. It's so funny that we're both so passionate about the litter. Well, it's a huge thing because, I mean, really, the, I wish I had known about this before she started smelling bad because it's too late. We've tried to clean her cast. You can't clean a cast. So I just hold her in my lap on a towel and try not to touch her poor little gross leg. We've tried to wash it. but uh. Yeah. So for listeners, if you're looking for litter solutions, definitely try one of these, either the pine litter or the, the tidy, tidy cat breeze. Tidy cat breeze. So, you know... We are not a litter show, but a lot of people in the world have cats. And so here you go. Here's a solution for the cat people and our very own Delay Don't Deny cat. <laughs> I can't wait to announce that the cast is gone and she no longer smells. That will be the best. But, you know, it makes me think of that Friends episode with Smelly Cat. Actually, that was on a bunch of episodes. Did you see that one with Phoebe and her Smelly Cat song? I did not. Okay. Well, you're going to have to look up the smelly cat song, because I just am constantly singing it. Listeners will know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So what's new in your life? So I'm currently reading, have you heard of Joe Dispenza? I have. 
So I'm reading his book. I haven't read any of his other books, but now I really want to. But I'm reading his book, Becoming Supernatural, right now. So it's all about meditation and how our thoughts affect our biology and you know all of that stuff that we talk about a lot. He just said a fascinating study that blew my mind. And I need to go find the original study and read it because I actually don't believe him. <laughs> like, well, okay, what is it? Now I'm going to have to write this down. What did he say? The book is Supernatural. Becoming Supernatural. Becoming. Mm-hmm. He said they did a study where there's some, I don't know what type of chicks, but there's some sort of bird chick, maybe all chicks. I don't know. They, they imprint on their mother. Right. Are you familiar with this? So like- Yeah, I'm familiar with that concept. Yep. And like something else could be its mother. Like they might imprint on a cat or they might imprint on a whatever, a human. So basically these chicks, like the first thing they see, I think, is what they think is their mother. So usually it's their mother, but if it's not their mother, they'll think something else is their mother. Now I really want a little chicken that thinks I'm its mother. (laughs) Side note. (laughs) Anyways, and they'll like follow it around or whatever. So he said they did a study where they had a robot thing that like just moved arbitrarily left and right. Like it could move left or right, but it was arbitrary. It just kind of moved around. And they had these chicks and the chicks would imprint on this robot and follow the robot around. Then he said they did an experiment where they put the robot like across the room or something separate from the chicks. So the chicks couldn't get to it, but it could still move left or right. But the way the setup was, the chicks were only, I guess they were contained. So they were only looking at it from a certain direction, if that makes sense. So like, right. They weren't like, the chicks weren't moving all around. It was like the chicks were like confined in this one place. And then there was this robot across the room that could move anywhere it liked around the room, but the chicks couldn't actually get to it. So what happened was the chicks like imprinted on this robot. So then they were all like looking at it and trying to get to it, but they couldn't get to it. He said the robot stopped moving around. Like it stayed where the chicks were. Like because they were all like trying to get to it, putting their energy that way. That's interesting. I have got to find this study and like read it because that is mind blowing to me. His point was that the thoughts and the energy that we give out actually affect, you know, the physical world, right? More than we realize. Well, I'm always fascinated by that idea because, you know, you you hear that a lot. It's not just the first time I've heard that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm sure it's not the first time you've heard it. I know, but I just want to know if that – so I, I'm going to look up now and find that actual study and read it because that just blew – Well, quantum physics has a lot of stuff in there that blows your mind. Yeah. Well, well this was – yeah, this was it. Actually, the chapter that this was in was – it's in the, the quantum physics chapter. There you go. So that was the context of it. Well, you know, the quantum physicists say that the very act of observing a phenomenon changes the phenomenon. Just the observing of it changes it. It sounds like that can't be true. That makes no sense. Why would me observing a phenomenon change the phenomenon? But that's what the quantum physicists say. That's above my, my level. <laughs> so, yeah. So if you think about that. I'm really, really into this whole, you know, mindset affecting our biology and things, but hearing, you know, scientific validation for it from that perspective is just really grounding for me. Yeah. Your thoughts, your thoughts can affect a lot of things. 
They really can. I think it's it's such an important part of the process. And the way you feel about the process, you know, connecting it to intermittent fasting, if you feel like, well, this probably won't work, I'm probably going to be hungry, I probably won't lose any weight, it's probably going to be hard. Those are those self-fulfilling prophecies. But if you come into it with the idea of, this is going to work for me. I'm going to be so successful. I'm going to be, you know, an intermittent fasting success story. I'm going to be on Jen's podcast, the, you know, intermittent fasting stories one day. Those are the types of positive messages that could lead to you having a whole different outcome. You know, we, we just see it, you know, with all the tens of thousands, now hundreds of thousands of members in the Facebook support groups, there are a few that, that still are caught up in that negative loop. And I try so hard to help them shift that mindset. But until you get out of it, it's just, it's hard. You've got to get out of that yourself by by changing your internal dialogue, the way you talk to yourself and visualization, so many things. But yeah, I think mindset is huge because the the people with that negative talk seem to, to keep having it, if that makes sense, if, you know, if I'm explaining it well. And I'm not criticizing by any means, just observing <laughs> that that happens and that I think that those people need to find the way to make that shift. I know that's easier said than done. Yeah. And we, I mean, we know with neuroplasticity and stuff that those changes can be made. It's just a matter of, you just, it's just a matter of repeating, 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 and letting those new brain circuits form and those old ones die off because they will eventually they'll get pruned away. I'd mentioned like Dr. Caroline Leaf's book. I really, really do recommend that switch on your brain. She talks all about this. She said, for example, it actually takes to form a completely new like brain paradigm shift that's more or less quote effortless, but not effortless, but you know, easier to follow takes three cycles of 21 days. Like that's how long it actually takes for um, new brain patterns to become morph eventually into habits and new circuitry. Once you recognize that you might have these negative patterns, repeating this negative self-talk, that's the first step is realizing it and then working on changing it. I think it matters so much. And we don't have a study on intermittent fasters' success and you know what self-talk they have, but I bet it would be interesting if we did. No, that would be, that'd be fascinating. It would be. I would love it. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. 
And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to melanieavalonscloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. All right. Shall we get started with some of the questions for today? Yes. Let's jump right in. So to start things off, we have, this is more of a um, listener experience, but this comes from Lynn and Lynn says, hi, Jen and Melanie, love your podcast. I love Melanie's obsession with details, but I must admit I do resonate with Jen's keep it simple approach. I like things simple. I've been IF since June, 2018, mainly for health benefits, but love that I lost a little weight and have maintained without any struggles. I'm a very active 67 year old female, and I have taken hormone replacement therapy for years. I make kefir to help my gut just as I like to do healthy things. I went to a naturopath recently with some minor health issues and he diagnosed me on a Vega machine. The results were very interesting. The diagnosis showed a few negatives, but one was mineral and vitamin deficiencies and an imbalance with my gut bacteria. Even though I take lots of supplements, he explained because of the imbalance, my body might not be absorbing nutrients. He went on to say that taking Hormone replacement therapy was responsible for interfering with this and advised me to stop. Well, my nails and hair are brittle and dry, even though I take a ton of supplements. So this made sense to me. I Googled the subject and found one site saying that taking hormone replacement therapy was like continually taking antibiotics, which we also know destroys the good bacteria in our system. I have since cut down the hormone replacement therapy and will stop taking it and ordered a topical cream online to ease me over the rough bits of night sweats. Now I am going to depend upon IF and eating well. I used to obsess over recording my fast, but the last few months, I just note when I open my window, I allow four to five hours and then I close. This has been a game changer for me. I feel like I've graduated to high school. (laughs) 
When I dish my scales, I'll feel like I'm in university and really grown up. And I may even spot Jin around the campus. Love you too. <laughs> I really liked the, the little metaphor analogy at the end. I know. Yeah. So I just thought this was a really interesting email from Lynn because, I mean, I, I personally am not very familiar with how hormone replacement therapy could be similar to like an antibiotic mimetic or anything like that. But I do think it's really interesting how these different things that we take in supplements and such and hormones, how they affect our body. And I think it's really great either way, like with Lynn's approach that she's becoming really in tune with how things are affecting her. And she's finding success with intermittent fasting, which seems really, really wonderful. And I think that's one of the takeaways for me is that you know, despite everything and what's doing what and minerals and scans and results. In the end, regardless, I think IF still helps with a lot of things across the board. So what are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I agree with that. And I loved the end, the end of her email. She used to obsess about recording her fasts, she said, but now she just opens the window, gives herself four to five hours, then closes. And then eventually she may feel confident to ditch the scales. And that was really my process. You know, I've talked about the window app that my son made for me. Have I talked on the podcast about the fact that he sold the app? Did I talk about that? I think, oh, I don't know. You might've just mentioned it in the group. Okay. I don't know. I might've just mentioned it to you. By the way, we're no longer affiliated with the window app. He sold it to a, to a company and I'm very proud of him and it's still a great app and I still highly recommend it. So definitely check out the window intermittent fasting app. I will always love that app (laughs) because of the roots of it, but um, we're no longer officially affiliated with it, though it will always be something I recommend. But when he made that app for me back in 2016, It was very helpful for me to cement my intermittent fasting habit and the practice. And it was not that I was new to intermittent fasting, but I had been dabbling in different strategies. I'd been using, you know, some alternate day fasting, trying to figure out which would work best for me. And then I was like, no, it's going to be the window approach. That's the one that felt right. So finally in 2016, I was ready, you know, to commit to the eating window approach. And that's when he made that app. And it was really helpful to me for months. And I think that it was actually instrumental, but then I didn't need it anymore. And then I stopped using it. And then one time I tried to go back to it over the holidays because I thought that it would, you know, I needed that accountability and I only needed it for like a couple of days. And I'm like, oh, I don't need this anymore. And so I let it go. So I do agree that being able to let some of these tools go eventually, and then you just live your life with intermittent fasting is kind of what we want. Now, I'm not saying that using an app is wrong. And if you continue to love using it and you like that feedback, there's nothing wrong with that. Just like there's nothing wrong with continuing to weigh yourself for the rest of your life every single day. There's nothing wrong with that. So please don't think that I'm I'm saying that you should not do that. But for me, it was freeing not to have to focus on any of those things and just internalize it as a lifestyle. But when I was losing weight, weighing every day was important feedback that I used. So just keep all that in mind. Yeah, I think that's great. Just, I think just being okay with everything that you're doing at any time and realizing that these are tools and they can serve you. And they can also, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier with changing neural circuitry and things becoming habits. Maybe the apps can really help you get into a new pattern and a new habit. And then 
you'll be in that pattern. And then you can always, you know, bring it back if you need. It's like a reminder. Or you might just like it. You know, some people like to have that, that they can look at and find patterns. And some people love to have that data. You know, I have data. I weighed myself every single day from 2014 to probably 2016. I have those charts still. I could pull them down out of my closet. They're up on a high shelf. But I wrote down what I was eating, what I was doing. I know exactly what I was doing every single day and what my weight did. I wrote it on there. I did it by hand because I was one of those, you know, people that like to write it down. But I have the graph. And that data helped me a lot. So, you know, I'm not against data if it's helping you and it's it's productive. Me neither. And since we're talking about your son and the app, I will do a shameless plug. He did develop the FoodSense app for me, which I think has been helping a lot of people. And that basically compares the various food compounds in different foods that can potentially be problematic for people. So if, re- if you react to foods, you might find it helpful. It looks at things like histamines, amines, salicylates, glutamates, whether or not something is a nightshade. So things like that. And he did a fantastic job developing that. It's called Food Sense. <laughs> so I'll, um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. All right. Are we ready for our next one? Yes. This is from Grace. And the subject is pacing out your meals. Grace says, Hi, Melanie and Jen. I have been listening to your podcast and started IF since the end of February. I first started off with a 16-8 approach and quickly found myself switching to a 24 approach. I am more like Jen in the sense that I love my homemade bread. Jen, have you tried sourdough? It's a whole different ballgame, but so, so worth it. I am normally not a fan of sourdough, but I love my own, just enough tang. And I try to stick to whole foods whenever possible. My question for you both, I find myself eating for only one hour and feeling satisfied. How do you gals spread out your food during a four-ish hour eating window? Thanks, Grace. P.S. Keep up the podcast. I listen to at least one episode a day, and once I get through all 110 plus of them, I will move on to the Himalaya list. I feel like I know you two so well. Yeah, lots and lots, Grace. We (laughs) We share a lot. So yes, you do. You know a lot about us. All right. So what would you like to say to Grace, Melanie? So Grace, very good question. First of all, I want to say if you're eating for one hour and feeling satisfied, just, I mean, just do that. (laughs) Like don't sweat it for anybody. Don't feel the need to mimic any other person's approach to eating. Do what feels good for you. So if that's eating for one hour and feeling good, please, by all means do that. And can I jump in and say one thing? Mm -hmm. Maybe one day, you eat for a one-hour window and you feel satisfied. And then tomorrow, you need to eat for a six-hour window to feel satisfied. That's part of listening to your body. So it doesn't have to be the same every day. Exactly. So, I mean, if to answer her question, if out of curiosity, how do we, I guess, eat so long? For me, it's because I tend to munch on like lighter things like cucumbers and produce and stuff. And then I have my main meal and then I kind of leisurely munch my dessert. It's like me leisurely munching on fruit and things like that. So that's how it spreads out so long. How about you, Jen? Yeah, I don't do it like that. Mine's different. I usually open with a snack, like a legitimate snack. I'm not like a grazer. Like I'll have a plate. Like yesterday I had a plate with, what did I put on that plate? Let me see if I can remember. I had olives and feta. And then I had 
some hummus, this wasabi hummus that was delicious with some pita chips. And then I had a few medjool dates, which are like so delicious. I'm obsessed with dates right now. I'm eating a lot of dates. So that was my snack. And then later we had a house showing. Our house is still on the market. So it was right at 6 p.m. So we went out to dinner at a Mexican restaurant, which was such a letdown, by the way. I love Mexican restaurants. I love I love Mexican food, but this one was not delicious. So I was not going to go back to that one. My husband's like, I think we like this one. I said, I think we don't. And we were, I was right. He did not like it either. So <laughs> that one was off the list. But there's another one I do like. We'll go back to that one. Anyway, then I came back home and a little bit later, because I guess because I wasn't emotionally satisfied from my dinner, I needed a little something else. So I had some more dates with peanut butter. And then I closed my window. So that's kind of what I do. A snack, wait a while, eat my actual dinner, wait a while, have a little something else if I feel like I need it. I do not always need something to close my window. Maybe dinner closed my window. And I don't actually officially close it. I just am like, yeah, I've had enough. That's it. So if dinner was enough, that was closing my window. If I needed something else, that was closing my window. And it really is just how my body feels and whether I feel like I need to eat more or not. Which is funny because it goes back to our debate of what qualifies as one meal a day. We should do a poll in the Facebook groups. Honestly, though, if you if I ate every bit of that just continuously, I don't see how that would be different. I just don't want to eat it continuously. I eat it. I stop for a while. I eat some more. I don't think it's different. It's just how you eat it. Eating continuously should not be the only measure of whether it counts as one meal a day, right? Is that the difference? If I ate it nonstop continuously for five hours, would you think that was one meal a day? Sort of, yeah. Well, so how many hours does it end up being? I mean, oh, and for listeners, it doesn't it doesn't matter because it's health wise and intermittent fasting wise, it's all great. I just think it's funny that we this is all semantics. It's one hundred percent semantics. I mean, that little plate that I had was not a meal. I mean, if if here's my definition of a meal. If you go to somebody's house and they serve it to you for dinner, if they say, come over for dinner, and then they serve you that, would you think that was dinner? Or would you be like, where's dinner? That little plate of food that I had as a snack, if I went to someone's house and they said, here's your dinner, I would be like, that's not dinner. So therefore, I know it's not a meal. That's why I feel like you do one meal a day and a snack. I do. That's exactly what I do. I snack and eat a meal, but I'm only eating one meal a day. I'm not eating two meals. I mean, some days I do. There are days I do eat two meals. It's not called one meal a day only. By that same logic, somebody could eat snacks throughout the day and still eat one meal and be doing, quote, one meal a day. Well, they could, but then they're not doing intermittent fasting if they're eating. I mean, I am doing intermittent fasting because I'm not eating all day. If you're only eating one meal a day and you're snacking constantly, you're not doing intermittent fasting. So I guess I'm doing the intermittent fasting version of one meal a day with a snack. But if you're eating all the day, you're not fasting at all. I'm fasting for, you know, 19 hours. And then I'm eating one actual meal within a window. Someone who snacks from du- from dawn to dusk is not doing intermittent fasting. So they might only be eating one meal a day, but they're not fasting. Right. So I'm saying like, I guess the way I look at one meal a day is I assume that that automatically comes with the insinuation of one meal a day being intermittent fasting without snacks. And so that's how it materializes for me. Whereas for you, you're seeing one meal a day as separate 
and then it, it would be qualified. Well, but have you, you've been to a restaurant where they give you an appetizer and then if it's like a fine dining restaurant, you might have an appetizer and then sit there and talk to people for a while and then have your meal later. I mean, a pause between courses is not unheard of. Wait, so how late, how long do you wait between? Oh, oh stop. No, <laughs> I don't want to get into that because that, that just, no, it doesn't matter. Oh, I wasn't okay. sure if you were talking to me or like your cat. Or I know. Something. Well, I mean, because because if it's like four hours, I would definitely call that like a snack. I mean, it is a snack, but it's just like the appetizer. If I called it an appetizer, then I think everybody would, would get it differently. But it's it's an appetizer. I'm having an appetizer. Right. Well, I'm saying, I'm saying, but I do think the time is important because if you go to a restaurant, you're not going to have an appetizer and then wait three hours until the main course comes. Well, you would if you were at a wedding. Pretend like you're at a wedding. <laughs> I don't know. I think a wedding is not a dinner. Okay. It's one. I think it is. You go, you're at the reception, they give you an appetizer, and then you wait a while, and then you have the dinner. It's all semantics. I eat one meal. And prior to that, I have my appetizer <laughs> or whatever, you snack, whatever. I'm not doing one plate a day. I'm not. I mean, I don't even think it matters. It doesn't. I just think it's funny. I'm having one actual meal. The other one is not a meal. So, and I honestly think that if I ate it one nibble at a time, then you would you would not feel the same way. That's what's just so, that's the part that's funny. The same exact amount of food, if I spread it out differently, it would be like, yeah, that's one meal a day. But because I choose to eat it a little bit and then wait and then eat again, that's the funny part. Yeah, it is really interesting. I, but I guess it's because I think when it does have that more of a snack type approach with a concentrated dry spell in between, that it adds in the potential for taking the one meal a day approach and turning it into something that I just wouldn't even really qualify as a one meal a day because then you could be really extending out that appetizer to that actual eating thing. I think when most people think, well, again, though, I don't think that calling at one meal a day makes a difference anyway. If someone is having an eight hour eating window and they're being successful, I don't care what they call it. Exactly. That's why I was saying, that's why I was saying at the beginning, it doesn't health wise and all that stuff. It doesn't, um, it is more just semantics. The only, the, the thing is, I think some people might say, I could see somebody doing an approach where the one meal a day, the way I think of it might be more effective for them if they did stick to one meal versus having a snack, waiting a while, having a long meal, then maybe drawing out that meal. I think it could more easily become a much, it could basically be just become an eating window, not a one meal a day approach. I think we just hit upon it. It's one meal a day within the eating window approach. I mean, I, I think that that's what it is. And, and what... I don't understand why those have to be two different things. Why is one meal a day not an eating window approach? It is. It's just a way to structure your eating window. I structure my eating window with one actual meal in it. I guess because um, I don't do an eating window approach. I do a one meal a day approach. So I don't have an eating window. But you see, I would I would make a big Venn diagram of eating what you do the eating window approach you the eating window approach is time restricted eating you have time restricted eating and within that i mean think about a venn diagram you've got a little circle inside the big circle 
you're just one little circle. One meal a day is a circle inside the time-restricted eating. They aren't like two separate circles. Does that make sense? This is my my elementary teacher coming out. (laughs) I think the one meal a day naturally manifests. It creates an eating window, but it's me approaching it from a different approach. It's, I don't feel like I'm going into the eating window and then into the one meal a day. I feel like I'm going into the one meal a day, which ends up being an eating window. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't to me because to me it's, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. I say we move on. Again, again, it's it's semantics. And honestly, call it whatever you want. <laughs> Literally, call it whatever you want. It doesn't matter at all. But you know, I do think that there are a lot of people who are sticklers about one meal a day equals 23-1 or one plate a day. And both Melanie and I would, would agree that that is not what we think. Yeah. And I don't think it matters. I just think I would just call what you do an eating window. I wouldn't call it one meal a day. That's all I'm saying. Well, the good news is I can call it what feels right to me because I'm eating one meal a day. <laughs> Most days. Some days I eat two. But I just look think it's funny that if I ate the same exact food, just if I ate the same exact food nonstop munching on it, you would think it qualifies. But the way that I don't doesn't. That's just what's so funny. Well, then I think it's funny that somebody <laughs> could then eat snacks all day and one meal a day and we would still call it one meal a day. But it's not intermittent fasting. If you're snacking, you're not fasting. I would not call that. I actually would not call that one meal a day intermittent fasting. No. If they snacked all day, that's not fasting. No way. But literally, if someone snacked all day and then ate one meal, they are, by definition, only eating one meal, but it's just not intermittent fasting. I say we move on. So the next question comes from Monica, and the subject is need your IF expertise. And Monica says, hi, Melanie and Jen, I need your expertise. I'm trying to lose my final 10 pounds to get to my goal weight. I've been listening to your podcast, and they are very helpful. My boyfriend started one meal a day in November and has lost 30 pounds and 18% body fat. Here is my issue though. I used to eat junk food and never gained weight. I decided in April of last year to start eating and living healthy. I started to eat salads and proteins and started working out two to three days a week at Orange Theory, high intense CrossFit training that lasts an hour per class. I typically burn 450 to 550 calories per class. I ended up gaining 14 pounds. I then started keto and lost about 12 pounds pretty quickly. That did not last, and I have gained 10 pounds back. After listening to your podcast, I wanted to get to the root of what was going on with my weight. I have not been able to lose one single pound in months. I stay at the same weight, 140 pounds. I'm 5'4". I go to Orange Theory now three to four days a week. I tried one meal a day at first, but was struggling to get in all my calories. I don't have issues with fasting. I actually forget to eat half the time. I then switched to 19.5, but was having an issue getting my food in as well. I am a super picky eater. I pretty much only eat proteins, meat, chicken, and fish, but I can't eat vegetables unless they are pureed. It's a total texture thing. I have tried every which way to eat them, and I can't. I finally went to a place called DexaFit to get my metabolism checked. The results were that I actually have a 9% faster metabolism than the average person. I was eating about 800 to 900 calories a day. The technician recommended that I should eat closer to 1600 calories based on my metabolism and exercise. My fear is that I am just going to put on weight. 
She said, because I am eating so low calories, my body is holding on to everything I eat. What is your best suggestion I do to start losing weight? I like IF and would like to figure out how to incorporate it into my life. Also, she mentioned I might gain it first, but then I would start to burn through it once I was eating enough. Any help is very much appreciated. All right, Jen. So this is a long, complicated question from Monica. What are your thoughts? This one just, that whole DEXA fit makes me just very puzzled. And I want to talk you through the part that's puzzling me and see if you agree with me. Okay. Okay. So she had a DEXA fit and let's assume, let's completely assume, because I don't know. Can you tell listeners a little bit what, what it is? Yes. Well, a DEXA, they, they do, they can do body analysis and it can tell you your body composition, but they have a, the DEXA fit, they, they claim to be able to tell you your metabolic rate based on this process that they go through. And, you know, I'm, I'm not versed enough to tell you whether it's 100% accurate, but let's assume it is. Okay, let's assume. Let's assume that she went to the DexaFit and that she has a 9% faster metabolism than the average person. That means her metabolic rate is higher and not damaged. So I don't understand why the technician said that she's not eating enough and her metabolic rate is being affected because if, if they measured it and it's 9% higher than normal, that sounds good. Right? Where where am I missing this? Where, where am I? <laughs> how, what am I missing? Well, there's that, but then there's also I don't know. I wanted to talk about this because I think I think a lot of times we get into the, these crazy restrictive mentalities and things when things are clearly not panning out. Because honestly, there's no way. She, I I don't see how she could be eating 800 to 900 calories a day, burning 450 to 550 calories while exercising. And have a nine percent faster metabolism, and not be losing weight because that would be a that would be a net intake. That would be basically, if we're just looking at it from a calories perspective, which we know calories are complicated, which speaks even more to this. But that would mean you're you're living on five hundred calories with a faster metabolism, not losing weight either. I don't think that's actually literally possible. <laughs> right, that's the part that I was like, I don't understand how. I mean. It, it makes me think that, that that measurement is wrong because that doesn't make any sense that you're if, if your measure if your metabolism is measured as higher than normal, then then it should be burning through your food. And you should be like losing weight like crazy. And it also sounds like she's doing I mean, higher calorie, but I'm wondering, Monica, is is she literally only like kind of like Duke and Diet? or PSMF style, protein sparing, modified fast style, literally just eating, you know, meat, chicken, and fish. Cause that's, that's a whole nother aspect to it as well. I also wanted to point out that she said she tried one meal a day. I'm laughing after our whole conversation. She tried one <laughs> meal a day at first, but was struggling to get in all of her calories I just find this very interesting because what I'm seeing here, reading this email, is that Monica is basically saying that she fasts easily, she exercises crazily easily, she's never hungry, she's not eating like anything. I mean, she's not eating that many calories. She has a very fast metabolism, but she's not losing weight. So the whole thing, if they had measured her metabolism, if, if they had measured her metabolism and said that it was low, then it would all make sense. But the fact that they measured it and claimed it was high makes me think that maybe the test is not good. 
in which case I would recommend an alternate daily fasting approach with up days and down days because I think that would get the metabolism going. But see, if your metabolism rate, is, if your metabolic rate is high, that's the part that makes no sense. That's why I'm puzzled. Yeah. And I, me just looking at this, Monica, I would just encourage a complete reframe of everything. <laughs> that was kind of like what I wanted to say to Monica and anybody else who's getting into this whole metabolism, calories counting, excessive exercise, numbers, weight scale game. Just taking a breath and reframing. You say, for example, that um, she tried one meal a day, but she couldn't eat enough. I would suggest, I don't know, like maybe, I don't know. So I wonder what she's doing now. She's not, not intermittent fasting at all. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because she says, I like IF. She tried one meal a day but wasn't hungry. She likes IF, and she would like to try to figure out how to incorporate it into her life. So maybe, and it's ironic because she's struggling to eat more, but then she feels like she's going to gain weight if she eats more, so she doesn't want to eat more. Yeah, there's there's something something going on. Something is off and and not right. In the, and like I said, I don't know how accurate that scan is. And so here's a question for you, Jen, in a situation, not this specifically, but in a situation where somebody is struggling to get enough calories in a fasting pattern because they're just not hungry enough, what do you suggest? Well, that's when the alternate daily fasting pattern is is what I would recommend. And one mistake people make with ADF is they think that on the up days, they need to like restrict within a window. And they'll try to have like a five-hour window on the up days. And and I, I say no, no, no to that one. You know, the up days, you need to eat, if anything, err on the side of having zero eating window, meaning you just eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner on the up days. And then on the, the fasting days, I would either do a full fast for 36 hours, which is easier for me. That's why I would do that. A full fast for 36 hours was easier for me than trying to have the small, low-calorie, 500-calorie meal because once I start eating, I want to eat a big meal, not a 500-calorie meal. So the down day for me worked better to be zero. The low day where you're eating either zero or 500 calories followed by the up day where you're not restricting yourself at all definitely don't like fast all day and then have one meal on the up days. You know, you need to eat more food to get that metabolism going because the research on alternate day fasting was with unrestricted up days and the participants in the studies were actually eating, I think the number might be 125%. It's been a long time since I read that study, but something like that, 125% of their quote caloric needs. They were not restricting on the up days. And that's important. And that they found that their metabolic rate did not slow, but they were not restricting on the up days. They were actually eating more. And that's the key to keeping it going. So there's that. That's what I would recommend for anybody who's concerned. And yeah, you you might have to consciously say, I'm going to eat more this day. I've never been a person who struggled with that, to be honest. So when people are like, I just can't make myself eat that much, I never had that problem. I will say, though, this is a huge caveat I want to throw out there. I don't personally think it's ever beneficial to, especially if you go to like processed foods or something, to mindlessly shovel in calories. Well, no. No, I never recommend mindlessly shoveling in. That's not... (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, just to be clear. Yeah. No. No, because people will say that, you know, like people will say, um, you just need to eat calories, 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 calories. And, and doctors will say that too. And I, I don't think that's the case. And especially in a situation like this, Monica, I would encourage you to find, because there is a pleasure aspect of food. So I would encourage you to find like natural, like whole foods, unprocessed foods that you do genuinely love and then not sweating it about the calories or anything, but eating those because then you'll, I think you'll be loving those foods. You won't have to worry as much if they are in their natural whole form of being as weight promoting. So you're still getting in all that nutrients and that, that richness. And maybe you can, you know, increase your appetite more through the eating these healthy foods and not have to worry as much about unhealthy weight gain. Yeah. She mentioned that she can't eat vegetables unless they're pureed. So I wonder if like a smoothie would work for her. Yeah, that'd be great. Make a smoothie out of some vegetables, like have your, have your protein and a smoothie with it. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Or there are a lot of like spices and things that can actually increase appetite while you're eating. So things like mustard and spices and stuff like that. So maybe adding that in with your meals. And then also she said, it sounds like, I don't know. I feel like she gets very catotic. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, if she's eating, sounds like minimal carbs, not hungry when fasted. I mean, I feel like her body does really well with ketosis. That's what I'm thinking. And, and when she started keto, she lost 12 pounds quickly. What's What I don't know that's really important, she says, that did not last and I have gained 10 pounds back. When you say that did not last, was it you stopped doing keto and you gained back the weight or you were still doing keto and you gained back the weight? That's a huge difference because maybe maybe going back to a more keto type approach would be the answer for you and a way for you to do like high fat, high calorie keto we're really rocking that fat burning state. So, I mean, that could be a way to get ample, ample calories and also lose weight as well. So yeah, complicated. Yeah. That one, that one has a gives me a lot of questions <laughs> and they all are centered around that DEXA fit. Honestly, that's the part that, that doesn't seem to match. So very interesting. All right. We have time for one more question. I think so. This is from Catherine, and the subject is whole body vibration. Kathy says, hi, Melanie and Jen. I have the whole body vibration machine. I have no training except what I found on YouTube. I purchased it because I read in Jen's book that this was the only exercise she did. At the time, I think she was still teaching. And it is on Jen's website page of things she loves. That was all the convincing I needed. However, I'm more flabby than ever since I started using it. So I stopped and have resumed walking outside now that the weather is better. I don't want to give up on it, but frankly, I'm scared of the dang thing. I heard on one of your podcasts that Melanie loves her machine. So my question is, what do you both love about it and why and how can I get it to love me? Thanks, Catherine. All right, Catherine, thank you so much for your question. Super happy that you brought this up because I think it brings up a lot of topics I love to address. Um, (laughs) So... First of all, the vibration machine, yes, I'm obsessed with it beyond belief. Not so much for burning calories, even though that's how it's typically marketed. So the way a vibration machine works is it's, quote, passive exercise. You stand on it. It vibrates your whole body. And that creates like minuscule or, you know, constant muscle contractions in your body, which actually increases calorie burning. And you can do like, you can basically just stand on it and it actually will 
burn calories. Or you can do like lift weights while you're sitting on while you're on it or different resistant type training and maximize the effect that it has. That said, it's a hack to maximize, like I said, the, those exercises that you may be doing. Even more importantly, what it's amazing, amazing, amazing for is detoxing and stimulating the lymph system, which is huge. I cannot get over this. I cannot emphasize this enough. So the lymph system, it's actually right beneath our skin. And this is fascinating. They didn't, like doctors didn't discover the lymph system until, I mean, I don't know when they discovered it, but it was like substantially later than than us being aware of other things. And that's because it is right beneath the skin. So when they would do, this is what a lymph therapist was telling me the other day that what they would do, they just didn't like realize it was there because they would get removed with the skin when doing um, like surgeries and things like that. So um, they just thought it was just a layer of the skin tissue. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But what it does is it, it transports fluids all throughout your body. And like when you eat foods and things like that, they enter the lymph system and they are processed and detoxed. So it's how your body deals with toxins, chemicals, so many things. And it's completely, it it requires physical movement to work. It doesn't have any pumps. (laughs) So it's not like the heart where, you know, blood is pumping. You have to move it yourself in a way. Movement gets it going dry brushing gets it going. You know, when people are sometimes stressed and they like massage like their collarbone type area, you actually have two lymph ducts right there. So that's a reason people often do that, I think. But so standing on the vibration plate really stimulates the lymph system, gets those fluids moving, helps with detoxification. That's why I personally really love it. But what I really wanted to point out about Catherine's question was it sounds like what she did was she was walking which is a completely different, you know, that slow, steady state exercise that's, you know, low stress, burning fat, really healthy. It sounds like to me she did that, got this vibration machine, which is completely a different concept. It's not, it's not a walk, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's there to detox, it's there to enhance exercise you might be doing otherwise, but it's not walking. So it sounds like she went from walking, switched it out, did this thing, says she got flabbier. And then her conclusion is, oh, this, this vibration machine is making me flabby. When really it sounds like she stopped doing one type of exercise that was really benefiting her, replaced it with something like different. It could have been an addition. So th- that's the way I would see it is adding the, the vibration machine to what you're already doing to increase your results rather than replacing something that was helping and then potentially becoming less active in the process. Does that make sense, Jen? It does, but I actually am going to say that, think about this. I think it could actually make you flabbier as part of the process. And let me explain. <laughs> I I got flabbier along the way as I lost fat. I lost the fat that had been taking up space and pushing out those tissues, that fat, that fluffy fat. And then as I lost fat, Things were saggy and flabby in those areas before they tightened up. So that's actually a step along the way, or it was for me, the flabbier part. And then it got better over time, and then I was less flabby. So think about what makes us look flabby. 
you know, cellulite. Again, that's that hole under the tissue. So if the vibration plate is causing you to, you know, get things moving, if you are losing fat, you might look flabbier. That would be like, you know, just weight loss makes you look flabbier in general. So it might just be an important part of your process of showing that your body is losing weight. And then over time with the fasting, those tissues will tighten back up again. So it, it absolutely could be that because I, I look at photos of myself from 2015 when I was at my goal weight. My arms were a lot flabbier than they are now. It was because the skin had not yet caught up to the weight loss. That's what flabbiness is. It's when your tissue is less full. My tissue was full of fat. That was keeping it more stretched out. I lost the fat. It started to look flabbier, but it got better. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I guess it's it's really hard for us to tell. I wonder how long. She does not say how long she's been doing it, so that's difficult to tell as well. But, but flabbier isn't necessarily a bad sign is what I'm saying. It might be just a step along the way to your final goal body. Yeah. So I, I think those are great takeaways for listeners. So flabby does not necessarily mean that you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It could be a transition thing. The vibration machine, literally obsessed with it. It's great for detox. And then also when you're adding in any new you know, exercise paradigm, I think it's important to take in the whole picture and make sure that you're not doing less than before because you think something will be better. It's kind of like people who... um you know, they, people who go to the gym, but then they're like sedentary all day compared to people that are just kind of like moving around all day. Yeah. So I'll put a link in the show notes. If you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 116, I will have show notes for this episode and I'll put links to the machine that Jen and I both have, which, oh, I love it. It's so amazing. I just sit on mine. It's so great. <laughs> like I said, for lymph, it's, it's amazing. That was something else a lymph therapist was saying. She was saying, if you ever get a lymph massage and it's like really intense, they're not doing it right. (laughs) Because she said the way that you're stimulating the lymph system is lightly brushing these areas. So there's like a very specific technique to it. Because I know I got a lymph massage the other day and it was like very intense. So I don't think that was like, I don't think they were properly trained in lymph. It was just a good massage, not a lymph massage. (laughs) Oh, have you ever heard of, um, what is it? B-E-L-D? Of what? E-E-L-D. I don't, not, not in that way, if I have. It's um, bioelectric lymphatic drainage. No. I got that done before. That was fascinating. It's like this electrical machine thing that they like lightly put all over your lymph area, and it helps stimulate the lymph flow for drainage. It was very effective. It, this was at a time when I rarely ever had body odor ever. They did that and it was like intense body odor. I was like, wow, this really got out. (laughs) All right. That's cool. Side note, my body odor, because you know how we talked in the past about body odor and I was saying that I didn't really have it at all until things got like weird health-wise and I started getting it again. Yeah. Since my EMF canopy, it's gone away as well. (laughs) Awesome. Only only Melanie would be excited about having body odor as a form of detox and then having it go away. Of course, we would all be excited about that. From an EMF canopy. <laughs> okay. Now I've lost everybody. Um, Follow me to my new show. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Uh, one more thing. This is going way back earlier to Grace's question. She did mention that she's going to move on to the Himalaya playlist. So we are a Himalaya partnered show. And if you follow us in the Himalaya app, you will get access to our podcast 24 hours in advance, which is amazing. And also the playlist she was mentioning there, I have a podcast there called Intermittent Fasting Stuff We Like. And that's where I put a link to all the other awesome podcasts that we like. And um, I actually was talking with Jen. There was a great one this week with Dr. Jason Fung and Peter Atia. Got very scientific. The first half of it, they tackled a lot about the insulin sensitivity hypothesis, which maybe Jim, we could talk about this next time because I didn't realize Dr. Fung's, I need to like actually read more of Dr. Fung's books again, I think, because he has a really interesting theory surrounding insulin sensitivity. You're going to tell me real quick, what is the, the different part of it? Maybe I'll just tease it for next week. All right. You can tease it, but then when we stop recording, <laughs> you have to tell me. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I will. So teaser. So um, for listeners, go, go to Himalaya, follow our show, look up that playlist, and definitely listen to that interview with Dr. Fung. The second half of that interview, they talk a ton about fasting. So that's great. Here's one thing listeners may not know, and I'm bringing it up because a friend of mine didn't know. She's heard us talk about Himalaya, but following us in Himalaya actually helps support our podcast. So just go on over there and follow us and and know that you're actually helping to support us by doing that one little step. So if you want to support the the podcast, boom, follow us. You've done it. You didn't even know you were supporting us. Yeah. It's perfect all around. Also, that's the way you use the app. So like if you the shows that you follow, that's how they automatically for all the podcast listeners out there like me, then you have all the shows you follow right at the beginning. So then you can like go to your one page and you can see all your shows and you can, it's, it's so easy. It shows you like which ones have new episodes. So once you guys get Himalaya, you'll be obsessed and then you can follow all the shows you love. But yes, I'm glad you brought that up, Jen. The point I'm making is you may already have a podcast app that you love. You may love the one that came with your phone. You may have another one that you like to listen to. But even if you just take that moment to go to Himalaya and follow our podcast in Himalaya, that helps support us because we are a Himalaya podcast. So, you know, even if you have another podcast app that you love, we would appreciate if you would go to Himalaya and follow us there. Yes. Thank you, Jen. Great point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A few other things for listeners. If you want to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. Or you can go to iofpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. That's also where those show notes are. Like I said, if you go to iofpodcast.com slash episode 116, we will put all the links to all the things. I'll try to track down that chicken looking at the robot study that is blowing my mind. Yeah, this has been absolutely wonderful. And Jen, as per usual, I enjoyed just debating one meal a day semantics with you. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. It's <laughs> The funny thing is, I think we could like bring up this topic every day and then we could just debate it for an hour and then move on. And then we could, we could do it again the next day and we probably wouldn't come up with anything new. Like it would all just be, it's like a wall. It's fine. We accept it, but it's, it's been great. And I will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember... The opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. 
Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.